0: So, welcome to the BNP Paribas Voice of Wealth podcast. I'm Edmund Shing, Global CIO of BNP Paribas Wealth Management. And today, I'm honoured to have with me my good friend and colleague, Prashant Bayani, our Asia CIO of BNP Paribas Wealth Management. Hello there, Prashant. Hi there, Edmund. Very happy to join. Well, so... The beauty of having Prashant with us today is we can ask all manner of questions about all things Asia and China. So today, what I wanted to do in this podcast is put a focus on China. Now, why are we looking so intently at China? Well, firstly, because it is an emerging superpower, as we all know. Secondly, it is a country and a region that we featured very much at the beginning of the year in our investment themes with our theme, Enter the Dragon. Now, that worked very well for two to three months, but has stuttered a little bit over the last couple of months. Um, there has been somewhat of a correction in Chinese financial assets, notably in the stock market. So, you know, Prashant, if we if we deal with that, first of all... Uh, Let's just ask the obvious question. Well, we know that Chinese economic growth is, of course, very strong, very strong economic momentum coming out of the sort of pandemic and lockdowns. Why, then, are Chinese stock and bond markets
1: not following this very strong momentum? Yeah, that's a good question, Edmund. I'd say, firstly, I'd separate into two broad areas. Firstly, China was first in and first out of the crisis. So clearly, the stock market outperformed global markets last year and frankly by the middle of February uh, the stock market also got to a very strong start of the year and was a bit overbought and when I take a step back clearly we know there's a correlation longer term between GDP growth and stock market performance at times but if you think about last year most countries had negative GDP growth but they had positive stock market returns so at the very big picture level there isn't always a one-to-one correlation on a quarterly basis. GDP is often a lagging indicator. It's also about return of capital. The other, the other thing I would say is that China, in, as we go to this year, is not stimulating the economy like coming out of the great financial crisis when it led. It's obviously more the developed world this time, U.S. and Europe. So hence, they've also chosen to let leave policy more neutral on the monetary side as well as the fiscal side, they're emphasizing more in terms of rationalization and credit growth, not boosting it as much, really linking with nominal GDP. So it's still growing 11, 12% for the year, most likely around in that range, but we're not gonna have that supercharged growth like we may see coming out of some of the other economies and the large economies in the world. So there's less bounce back potential.
0: Okay. so. The credit growth is slowing down, but not dramatically, because I, that's one of the fears that I've heard from reflected from investors. But there is a second fear that I did want to ask you about to get your view on, which is, of course, the regulatory crackdown on Chinese mega cap tech companies, the likes of Alibaba and Tencent. Now, we've seen that from the Chinese Communist Party, and that, I think, clearly has worried investors. But what's your take on it?
1: Should, should
0: really they be worried for the long term? Or is this a little bit of storm in a teacup?
1: We think the context is global as well. In this case, we think regulation is obviously a global issue for tech companies. In terms of China itself, when we think about what they're doing, the China companies had expanded very quickly across a number of niches. The first area where, which got news last year in October was the fintech financial services where uh, some of the players were getting large in that space, but they're not regulated like banks. So this was really about creating a level playing field between the tech sector and China which had innovated and moved ahead in that space, and the banking sector in China. So that's the first step. And I think in the long run, that makes sense, because what what China wants to avoid is a banking crisis or a large amount of bad debts coming uh, through excess lending, especially if it's not regulated on the same level playing field. Secondly, when we think about the other areas where they are regulating, it's e-commerce, and forcing uh, retailers to just be on one site. So that makes sense from an antitrust and competition point of view. And we're also seeing rumblings of that uh, in clearly in the US and Europe as well, uh, in terms of market share. So these things are related. So what we believe in the medium term is these, this is healthy for competition pricing, uh, but in the short term, it led to a little bit of slowdown on some of the growth potential in some of these other niches. However, overall, when you look at valuations, for the mega cap China tech, where we actually are neutral, not overweight, and actually went neutral after the large rally to start the year. Um, Valuations are more attractive, but this will take some four more months to work out. Uh, But in the medium term, it's going to create a buying opportunity in some of the leaders. So we don't think it's the end of the tech story in China, and China will continue to be a leader and an innovator in this space. So
0: really, we shouldn't be too worried in the medium term, even if in the short term, there is some, some lingering uncertainty about the continued growth rate, uh, you know, can they be maintained for these Chinese internet mega caps. But one thing I do remember is that from the start of the year, when we talked about the enter the dragon theme around China, we did talk about progressive opening up of Chinese financial markets, notably the stock and bond markets, more and more to foreign investors. Now, Is that still a driver? And in particular, should the bond market benefit from wider inclusion in bond benchmark indices going forwards?
1: Yes, that's correct. We think that is a longer term mega trend in terms of the inclusion factors. One of the things that's happening on the fixed income side and the government bond side is China, of course, is one of the countries with most debt in the world, given the size of its economy, but it's not really adequately measured in benchmarks in any way. And we do see inclusion. Uh, one of the major index providers is staggering that inclusion over three years rather than one year. So that it is a more measured increase in bond weighting uh, to an eventual weighting of over 5% in the next three years for one of the major index providers. And other ones, have; they're all moving at different paces as well. So what we think is, yes, number one, these bonds are not widely held because they don't need to be because they're not in major portfolio manager major indices. That weighting will go up but it's in a measured pace overall. For equities, clearly also that is going up incrementally over time. And some of the larger index providers, again, China uh, is overall well underweight its actual size of its economy and stock markets compared to other markets around the world. And for example, uh, we could see some of the onshore China equities, which are largely unrepresented in indices, quadruple in the coming years, say roughly from 4% to 16% uh, overall in terms of the domestic China equity story, which is largely, again, not reflected. So the medium-term story, it's a tailwind overall as you go out. And it's also an asset allocation story as a non-China-based investor. You need to think about this in your portfolio makeup. And I think,
0: if I recall correctly, one of the main ways that you can buy, particularly into Chinese red chip stocks is actually via the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And obviously, there are the HSCEI, the classic uh, red chip indices, but for stocks, which are quoted in Hong Kong. Now, Hong Kong has been another source of uncertainty for investors, again, about what the future is, for Hong Kong, the the one country, two systems methodology that the Communist Party put in place back in 1997. I have a personal interest, because I still have family out in Hong Kong, of course. Um, Now, what is your view, Prashant, on the future of Hong Kong? Is it still a thriving business centre? And is it an area which the Chinese government will still want to encourage and allow to grow strongly in the future?
1: Yes. Yes. A Very important question. What we believe is where Hong Kong fits in is this greater Bay area. What does that mean? So Hong Kong being the lead for international capital flows, we are seeing, for example, Hong Kong, large technology companies doing secondary and now increasingly primary listings in Hong Kong. So that is growing Hong Kong's equity culture which is already very strong. But clearly, Hong Kong is linked with China in that case, which is a large, huge, obviously, domestic economy. And that's where they benefit. In terms of the linkages with other parts of the region, which are important over time, is that Shenzhen will clearly be the more technology part of that as well. And that's, there's a lot of leading technology research being done and tech hubs, and then Macau being leisure. So if you combine that and the economy and those complementarities It's powerful over time, but it's linked with Hong Kong's domestic economy as well. And that's what the vision is. That's what the long-term progress will be. And that's what the focus is on infrastructure as well. The infrastructure links between Shenzhen and Hong Kong and Macau are also very, very strong in developing, whether it's train, rail, and bridge. So this is about movement of data, people, and technology. And that's what the most endearing thing about it. And what I've been quite surprised about,
0: actually, with Hong Kong is how resilient the residential property market has been. For a property market that's so outrageously expensive, it's actually really holding up incredibly well. So that sort of suggests that there is confidence for the future of the residential property markets holding up so well. But I did want to turn to one final question, Prashant, on a slightly different topic relating to China, which is, of course, ESG. So the environmental, social and governance concerns. What we see with China is an incredible boom in sales of electric cars, so electric vehicles. They're clearly leading this revolution. How do you see this progressing? And what
1: opportunities do you think investors can find in this space in China? Yeah, it's a key and other strategic platform for the China government and economy. So when we think about the numbers coming out of China, China clearly, in terms of number of vehicle sales, is already the largest auto market in the world in terms of volume. Uh, Their goal Uh, is to have 40% of vehicles from manufacturers being uh, electric vehicle or plug-in hybrid by 2030, which will really boost the penetration through time. And the key is that China's all across the learning curve. They're also involved in the battery side. And by setting that target, you drive economies of scale on the battery pricing side and batteries are already one third the cost the largest cost in EV vehicles so there's a symbiotic relationship there to drive lower costs on the learning curve side to drive sales but it's not just that it's the charging infrastructure as well which is well advanced they were already at 1.2 million charging points in 2019 with another 600,000 announced after that keep in mind Biden just announced 500,000 so they're well ahead there. Finally The ESG is the most important because this is one component of the overall ESG story. And it's very important that President Xi has committed to 2060 for carbon neutrality. And if you remember, five, 10 years ago, countries like India, China, they were not as on board the EM with this. And that is a clear change. So it's not just about EV and EV infrastructure. It's about the broader energy transition story as
0: well. So to sum up, Prashant, if we were to sort of sum up our views on Chinese financial markets overall, we're still, from what I see, modestly positive on the Chinese renminbi, the currency. We're still positive on Chinese sovereign bonds. And for the medium term, also positive on the Chinese stock market. And should investors be optimistic for the future of
1: Chinese assets? Yes, I think overall... That is a very good summary. In the short term, uh, we could see through the summertime time uh, perhaps a bottoming on the relative underperformance of China relative to the rest of the world. And you could see, as we go into the 100th anniversary of the China Communist Party in July, post that a little bit more loosening, perhaps not on the policy side dramatically, but some of the things that were implemented in the first half of the year could become a little bit less of an issue. And also, we're already eight, nine months into tech regulation. So we should see some more bluer skies in the second half of the year, and the relative underperformances and undervaluation of China equities uh, should look more attractive as we had in the second half of the year. Also, medium term, you're absolutely right. People are generally underweight where they should be on China over a two, three, four year view, just structurally, because of the index changes we spoke about. The currency has been resilient and is trading within our expected range. So that's pretty much trading in line. And the bond market clearly offers a higher yield, while the yields are not going up as much now, given they don't require as much fiscal and monetary stimulus. But that still is an attraction, we think, not just in the short term, in terms of the next six to 12 months, but in the medium term as that bond market weight grows.
0: Thank you so much, Preshant, for joining us from Singapore today. And speak to you again, listeners, soon. Bye bye. For more content on investment strategy and investment themes, please search in Google for BNP Paribas Wealth Management for our website, or please do subscribe to BNP Wealth Management podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or Spotify.